0: Please pronounce your name correctly for me. Dume Gorum. Now, you work with metal, but how do you define yourself? Do you call yourself a metalsmith, a sculptor? Or like, a, what's a, the word you like to use? I
1: use metal sculptor slash independent artist.
0: Okay. Now... I've known you for going on twenty years, off and on, um, but I don't know sort of your background too much. Like, so one thing I'm always wondering about, like, so how did you even become creative? Your childhood, your parents, uh, some teachers in your youth—like, what inspired you to go down this path?
1: That's a long story. I'll try to stick to the footnotes. I've always been interested in art, visual art of one kind or another. Um, you know, I loved. Movies and comic books and seeing paintings and stuff. And although I wasn't completely focused on it growing up, you know, I did enjoy my art classes. I actually took some private lessons growing up on occasion. Although I was much too young to appreciate the resource that I had available, I actually took watercolor lessons from Betty Brown who's a very prominent watercolor artist in not only Wilmington, but the Southeast. Maybe, I think she's actually won some national awards.
0: Now, um, did you I grow agree. up here? hmm I was okay. born
1: and raised in Wilmington. You know, I took a handful of classes in high school. I actually dropped trigonometry to take ceramics because I was horrible at, at math. Love that. That was probably the first introduction to sort of 3D physical art that I had. And to me, it, it, it's always been easier to, to make something than draw something. Although I still do drawings fairly often, it translates for me in my head better three-dimensionally on the fringe I, I thought that might be a direction I wanted to go into and applied for the design school at North Carolina State when I was sending out college applications about a billion years ago and I got accepted to state but I had applied too late to get into the design program so I selected English as my major did not do very well academically My. First couple of years at, at State. I, I also recognized later that at that time I did not have the discipline or the focus that it would have taken to make it in the design program at State.
0: Oh, yeah. I went to Elon and I did horribly there. <laughs> like, absolutely horrible.
1: I actually failed out my first year and came home, and my dad said, You can go in the military. You can work while you're here and go back to summer school or just get a job, period. Whatever that may be. And I actually got a job with a big construction firm that was here in Wilmington at the time and went back to summer school, raised my grades high enough to get back in the following the fall semester. And so... Uh, Fast forward to when I graduated with an English degree because I never did get my GPA up high enough to transfer into the design program. Then proceeded to enlist in the military because I wasn't sure about my job options. Coming straight out of college and having, you know, and had a blast socially and otherwise. Um, I did have some really good instructors and pulled my grades up and, you know, took some really great classes in the English literature department. But was it a complete loss for what to do with that?
0: Just as a side note, how old are you now? 51. Okay, so we're very similar. I'm 47
1: now. So I had always been kind of intrigued by the the military. My dad and granddad and one of my uncles had, had served in I probably should have done that after high school instead of college, but I imagine that that would be a great way to, you know, get some world experience, do some things that I would not have the opportunity to do otherwise and kind of get my shit together. And it worked really well in that regard.
0: Which, which force, which I don't even know. What uh, in the
1: <laughs> army. army. Okay. And so I started, actually started researching design and art schools while I was still in the military. And I was only in three years. It was in between Desert Storm and Iraqi Freedom. So I'll just go ahead and say, I, you know, I was never deployed. I did not have the experiences or do the same things that many of the men and women in service have done to date. So um,
0: I, I'm not a military person. So to me, you got lucky.
1: <laughs> I did. But researched a couple of schools, and kind of narrowed it down to SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, and the Art Institute of Pittsburgh, which had a a really cool industrial design program that I liked, which was geared towards model making and sort of movie special effects type stuff. So I actually ended up going there, after working for a, a couple of months at home, waiting for the that semester to kick off, packed up my stuff and drove to Pittsburgh from Wilmington, North Carolina. Did not know a soul up there. My parents didn't know anybody. I stayed in a hotel for the first probably three or four days while I was trying to get the lay of the land and go to class and meet people and answered a note on the bulletin board in one of the hallways at school and found some roommates and moved in and found a job washing dishes because that's the only thing at the time I could fit my class schedule around and was in Pittsburgh for two years in their industrial design program which was a great experience. I had some amazing instructors and Coming out of the military and having some more experience and being older was much more focused and appreciative of not only the courses I was being offered, but the opportunity and much different outturn from uh, my NC State experience. Although I did graduate, it was by the skin of my teeth. (laughs) Me too. I had
0: to beg a professor to pass me so I could get out of undergrad.
1: Yeah. And it was amazing, really, the the difference, too, in just doing something that I was was really interested in. And that's really where it kind of clicked for me. And I made mostly A's and graduated with honors. And I think I missed two classes in the two years that I was there. And it was a really good experience. After graduation, I sent out a bunch of resumes. and Came home and to Wilmington and worked uh, basically for a summer while I was looking for other jobs. And you know that was still kind of on the front end of the computer revolution and things being online. And uh, did not e- the, didn't even have a cell phone at that point. I think I had a
0: pager. Pager, yeah, yeah, we all had pagers.
1: You know, so I was sending hard copies of resumes out and waiting for phone calls and finally got a phone call from a firm right outside of Atlanta that was looking for a shop tech and a model maker so I moved there and worked there for it wasn't very long it was almost two years I think maybe a little over a year but that was also a great experience I ended up bumping into friends from North Carolina that had moved there to work and moved in with them as roommates. And, you know, so that was a comfortable feeling in a much bigger city. And, you know, I really enjoyed being in Atlanta and working there, learned a lot with the company I was working for. It was also Watson Associates. I'm not sure if they're still around They were right outside of Atlanta in a little town called Conyers, which was, I lived in Southeast Atlanta. And it was like, for me, it was a one-way 15 minute trip, which was awesome because my roommates were driving 45 minutes to an hour in their commute. But anyway, one of the accounts that they had was for Coca-Cola and I was helping them build these new vending machines that were uh, sort of robotic they had elevators in them that would get the drinks and bring them down and shoot them out and i had actually saw have seen newer versions of those around wilmington once well, or I've twice. i've seen them
0: yeah yeah i know them i know them very well cuz they make it so that when it gets down it's not all fizzy yeah. it didn't drop it sort of was just yes. like, softly brought down to you
1: and i still have some hard copy photos of like different versions of those, like when we were putting them together. And so anyway, that was, that was one of the bigger jobs that I was working on with the the team there. But one of the things that Coca-Cola didn't do was assign somebody to the project that was going to go out into the field and maintain the machines that we put out there for their field test and collect the data, which, you know, I, I learned was a huge part of their marketing thing. And, so I ended up jumping ship to Coca-Cola because they needed somebody to do that. So for, for a while, I was uh, basically a Coca-Cola machine repairman going from Greensboro, North Carolina, to right outside, well, to Dallas, Texas. Those, those were the two cities that they came up with their demographic studies that were gonna suit their purposes for marketing. So I did that for the better part of a year in the process well, was dating somebody that was getting ready to move back to Wilmington for a job in the pharmaceutical industry for a company actually called PPD, which started here in Wilmington, but is a, has her headquarters here now and is a giant in that industry. Anyway, we moved back. She had a job and I was looking for a job. And there were not the jobs that I had in Atlanta or outside of Atlanta here in Wilmington. They were unavailable. At the time, which was kind of my goal in the first place, you know, was to always try to get a job in the movie industry. And there were some productions happening in town. But the ones that were here had already either crewed up or wrapped. And that was kind of a closed circuit at the time, like, unless you kind of knew somebody or had an in, it was very difficult to get a job in the film industry. It still kind of is, really. That was the late 90s, 99, probably. But I ended up getting a job with, well, let me back up. Uh, so one of the things I did was audit the a welding course at Cape Fear Community College. while well, I was looking for a job, and... That was kind of an introduction to metalworking and welding techniques, which I wasn't in very long because I ended up getting a job for a guy that did a bunch of metalwork, mostly displays and decorations for major retailers. But this guy, his name's Mark Offerman, his company's called Markmade, but he got most of his jobs from a company in New York that sourced out these projects for uh, the bulk of it when we were doing it were decorations for the windows in New York for Christmas. So, and a lot of that was metal work. So I worked with him. He was doing all the welding. I was kind of his assistant, but I learned a lot from him and I'm slowly connecting all these dots, but Karen Crouch, who is a metal sculptor and artist here in Wilmington and has a studio here at Acme art studio where we're having this meeting at the time was renting a table for Mark and that's how we met. And so I would stay after work and kind of talk to her and see what she was doing and check it out. And that's when I kind of just started messing around with metal sculpture and welding and just, sticking things together and ended up getting a a welder for Christmas the following year ended up quitting the job that I had with Mark made was sort of seasonal. So I actually ended up walking across the the driveway and working with a company called true love fabrications that I'd, I'd been talking to those guys while I was working for Mark and he had kind of said, Hey, when we're done that, these guys would, be more than interested in talking to you because they stay busy. They do or did big marine exhibits for aquariums. So all of, most of the stuff that, that if you're familiar with or have been to a big aquarium anywhere, they mainly did work in coastal North Carolina, but there's an aquarium in Fort Fisher, one in Pineal Shores, and one up in Manio. But they are responsible for the big tanks that you see, the shipwrecks and the reefs and all that stuff. plus a, a ton of other kinds of exhibits. the The trees that you see in the freshwater exhibits mm-hmm. uh, are mainly man-made, which I did not know. And unless you know that, unless you're really good at picking things out, they their product is so realistic that it's, I mean, very interesting and the process that they worked was interesting to learn as well because it was mainly polyurethanes and a lot of fiberglass, which I'll be glad to really not work in again if that's the case. But uh did some cool stuff with those those guys, which was very close to I, I guess, you know, set building and stuff in the movie industry. So I was I was happy with that. And I was like, this will be a really good experience and something I can use on a resume if something comes up in the realm of movie making in the film industry in Wilmington, North Carolina later, which for people out there who aren't familiar, Screen Gems has a studio complex here in Wilmington and the, the business is off and on. That's a whole different show and conversation there've been a lot of movies made in Wilmington, North Carolina and And TV shows and TV shows and some really good ones. I ended up leaving that job to be a stay at home dad. When my first child was born, my wife at the time had a, her, her job was bringing in a lot more money than mine. And it just made sense that I was the one to stay home.
0: So that was, that will be the same with me and my wife. Okay, I will do the same.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, that was a great experience as well. And while I was doing that, you know, when I had some time, I did the same thing that Karen, that I met at Mark's, was doing. And I asked Mark if I could keep my welder there and come down after hours and, you know, basically run a table, which is what I did on my time off. And we ended up separating or no longer married. That's another story too, but... <laughs> During that time period, I had started making some smaller
0: metal sculptures. Give me some years on this. What kind of time period are we talking about?
1: This is uh, end of 2000, early 2001. Okay. Borrowed a card table from my mom and set up at a fall festival they have here in Wilmington. Riverfest, which was a big, still is a big thing. They didn't have it last year because of COVID. Anyway, set up a table, sold a handful of things, simple kind of found object stuff, and then a lady that actually saw and liked my setup there invited me to another craft show that Sunday. There wasn't an entry fee. There were other artists involved, but it was a a fundraiser for a local organization, and I forget the... Organization. It's a, a children's based thing. But anyway, it was at Poplar Grove. So these are all local places in Wilmington, North Carolina I'm talking about. So anyway, I was there. And one of the things that I had made that was different from other things was actually a pretty organic looking set of small jellyfish. And this guy came up and bought one or two. And I, sold, I was excited to sell them. Packed up that day you know, was glad to have sold a couple more pieces, felt good about kind of talking to some other artists that were doing the same thing and in the same boat. And and my head was trying to, you know, put together what my next steps might be. And about a week later, I got a call from that guy, who happened to be the Dan, Dr. Dan Baden, who was the head of the Center for Marine Science at UNCW. And he asked me if I would be interested in making some more jellyfish, but like five times as big as the one that the ones that he bought for their lobby, which I agreed to and was very excited about, even though I had no idea how I was going to pull it off at the time. But I figured if I could make a small version, I could make a larger version. And um, it, it took a little experimenting and some trial and error, but I ended up, making some metal jellyfish that were almost about the size of a bar stool five or six of them i think that are still hanging in the lobby of the marine science center had gotten some calls from friends or some people that saw me also to make some smaller things and then, and that's when the ball started rolling slowly as far as getting commissions I ended up doing logo for a Copycat Print Shop, which is a local print shop here. Made some coffee tables and smaller sculptures like that. Also ended up working part time at Hanover Ironworks, which is a sheet metal fabrication shop here. But they do a ton of welding and obviously metal work just to kind of connect the dots. Because I wasn't selling a a bunch of stuff it was good when I did but it, it wasn't paying the bills at the time
0: well and that's one of the things like it's it's basically how do you balance that like having to pay the bills while wanting to be creative kind of thing like a lot of us myself included oftentimes sort of we we want our creative stuff to be accepted so badly that we put too much energy into that and then don't make enough of a living to be able to sustain continuing to be creative
1: I still haven't figured out what the equation is, you know, and that's always in flux and I'm always learning, but as an artist, and if, if that's what you're going to do, you know, and you're by yourself, unless you have, you know, resources for marketing and development and all this other stuff, which is great if you do, and that makes a huge difference. Money makes a difference. I mean, it's it's people say it all the time and it's cliché but but really if you have some money to spend on those things, you're going to get a better result than not.
0: Okay, well like for you, like when I look around your studio, what I see is you've invested, I call it invested, but you basically bought a lot of resources and materials and things like this. Like is this something that do you ever have to go in debt to like buy like I'm thinking looking at your copper in particular like do you have to buy like put it go into debt to do that with the hope that something will sell or do you only do that like if you already have a commission that's already been you know going to be paid for kind of thing for me
1: uh, starting out it was about half and half maybe not even half and half like I was making mostly speculative work you know for sale and I was doing art shows and I remember your your crabs, local stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and fortunately, uh, so one of the things that I tried to observe when I was doing that, you know, was like, what What are the things that people are gravitating towards? Like, what do people like? And here in coastal North Carolina, it happens to be marine life and seabirds. Yeah, there's a giant blue heron sculpture that I just finished yesterday, sitting on the table beside Matt. And so that became kind of a niche. I mean, I love making other stuff, but I knew that if I made sea turtles and blue herons and seahorses and and crab, blue crabs, like those are the things that would, would sell. And, you know, so that was a way for me to generate some income. But I had to be careful about the money that I was spending. You know, materials weren't cheap. You know, full credit to... My first wife, she gave me my welder for Christmas,
0: and that was. I have no idea what the expense of a welder is. And I there, it's I, I mean, a,
1: a midline welder. It depends. There are different kinds of welders, and that's another show, probably. But I have what's called a TIG welder. But I, you know, it was probably a back then was probably a $1, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred piece of equipment dollar mm-hmm. piece of equipment. Yeah. And then you have to also either buy or lease the gas tanks that go with it. So that's another charge. And those are expendables, you know, as welding rod and the parts to the welder that you need to replace. So those are ongoing costs. Um, copper tends to be more expensive than, than other metals. The, the welding rod that I use back then, I started buying it for $7 a pound and it's got a little bit. Of silver in it, that same pound of welding rod is now sometimes as expensive as fifty something dollars, and the cheapest that I bought it in the past five years was maybe thirty something.
0: That's a, a quite an increase. Yeah, so
1: that's one of the reasons why I was working, you know, part time to generate at least, even though it wasn't huge, a steady paycheck that was helping me take care of you know my other expenses I was fortunate that I started getting a fair amount of commissions kind of off off the bat you know and have steadily maintained a pretty good client base so I was also very fortunate uh, I do relatively little advertising but you know wound up in the newspaper a couple of times for things some of the bigger sculptures I got or made for people. I wound up being in a couple of local magazines that wrote articles and had photos of my stuff or sort of showcasing local artists type stories. And, and, and then when I did my first couple of, we'll say public art installations was fortunate once again to get a lot of media coverage, whether that was, you know, a, video on the news or in the newspaper or magazines. And uh, so for me in particular, a lot of those things kind of lined up. And so I consider myself very fortunate in in that regard.
0: Well, not simultaneously. So you're doing sort of speculative work as you call it. You're doing commissions, but you're also working with the movies, right?
1: So we'll, we'll back up. I was still working part-time at hanover ironworks and you know the this was early to mid beginning to be the mid but that was the time that the housing market dropped out and everything was just going down the tank in the united states and a lot of contractors were not working and and everything and i was working at hanover ironworks but things had really started picking up the movie studio here and a buddy of mine had been doing a lot of work he actually used to rent the studio right behind us was working as a a prop maker and he said you really should give the union a call and talk to them because there's they're getting ready to start something really big i've heard that there's going to be a ton of metal in it and they need welders and i went over to the office the local 491 here talked to the head of the the union filled out an application you did have to pay at that time a application fee but they knew they were so going to be so busy and they needed people so bad that there wasn't like I was in as soon as my they cashed the check for you, the you're initiation IATSE right yeah. yeah
0: yeah I was a member of IATSE okay. in Washington DC
1: yeah And it was about a week later, I got a call to work on my first movie gig. So, this is 1997 was when I graduated from design school. And this is 2010, 11. So, you know, uh, a little over 20 years. Anyway, it took me that long to get my first movie gig.
0: So, what was that first movie?
1: It was called The Occult. And the, the blueprints for these lantern stands that made they um, had me make are still up on my wall. And this was a very small kind of straight-to-video horror film, which actually wasn't too bad. I was very excited to, to get the job, and they, I was the only welder on the show, and they actually let me work out of this studio, and I'd give them a call, when i was finished with so many and they would send a truck over here and pick them up and it was it was great and then when that wrapped it was about another week or two that iron man three started pre-production here in, in wilmington which was the hat was at that time and still has been the biggest feature film to ever hit hit wilmington
0: I personally love Firestarter myself, but that's fine.
1: Yeah, that was a great I think that was one of the very first, if not the mm-hmm. first. But I got hired as a welder in the construction department and I think at the peak of our run there there were 30 something, almost 40 welders and the metal shop on that production was basically a whole sound stage. So I went from being, you know, like one guy kind of doing my thing in my studio to almost, I mean, probably the closest to working in a factory that I've ever been. And that was, although it was overwhelming in a lot of ways, it was a great experience. And, you know, I met a bunch of other people. My boss that was head of the metal shop, there's a guy named Mike Shore and another guy named Chris Chris Nagel and Chris was one of the California guys that came and there were a bunch of those from the West coast that came with the Marvel, then Marvel, I think it was before Disney
0: bought them. That sounds before Disney. Yes.
1: And so they had done previous productions with, with Marvel and, but he, you know, they were just wonderful and taught me a lot. And just the, the dynamic in, in our department was really was great. And although stressful and we put in a ton of hours, you know, I just, I really learned a lot. I was always in awe, like walking into a soundstage and seeing the stuff that we were building. And I I think I was on that for, it was a pretty long production. My part on it, I, I think I was there for three months or so, but it was fantastic. And that was like my first kind of big introduction to the movie thing and then once that wrapped I ended up getting some other calls to actually ended up working as a in the special effects crew with a couple of productions or I've since gotten calls from art departments or the set decorators that I was more of a vendor in that capacity like they would ask me to make stuff here and that were parts of sets or yeah, yeah. Whatever. outside contractor. And, and those, those for me, are those are like, that's the best of both worlds. Cause I can work here in my shop. I can work from the photos and drawings that they give me. I don't necessarily have to be there, you know, 18 or 20 hours a day.
0: And you can work at your own hours yeah. too, like if you're early morning, late night, whatever. And it,
1: it, it depends because nine times out of 10 with those gigs, like they do need it at a certain time and it has to be done. So, you know, a lot of times I'll get a call when there were a lot of stuff going on and they would say, Hey, we have this. Do you think you can do it? And we'd have that conversation. And the second part of the conversation would be, well, we need it a day and a half from now by, you know, one 30 in the afternoon. Can you have it done? And, and there were plenty of times where I was, you know, I'd get it done, but I would be in here working till you know, 1 o'clock in the morning. And But those gigs were so – but it was always worth it. You know, they, were, they paid well. They provided the materials. There was support if I needed it, and those were always very – although the stress level might be high, it's just a very dynamic situation, you know, compared to – other places that i've worked
0: so but what i'm hearing also like when i'm listening to you the life that you've sort of built for yourself is it's very gig related like whether it's making works for a festival to to hopefully sell it or whether it's you know getting a commission to do this like how do you deal with emotionally slash and or financially with the the nature of sort of the insecurity of your income
1: It's a, it's, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't an element of stress. I love what I do, but it is, you know, by nature kind of a roller coaster as with any other contractor, especially small business people, you know, whether you build houses or are an independent contractor of one kind or another, like when it's going good, it's usually going really good. And there are times when you're like hoping the phone's going to ring before the end of the week because you're working on the only project you have on the table and that that's happened i mean i've i distinctly remember you know more than one occasion going to pick my daughter up from school and going you know i have not even a hundred dollars in the bank like uh i hope she doesn't ask to go to get ice cream or what you know are we going to get ice cream or am i going to get gas or something and that's You know, that was a a real thing a handful of times. I mean, things have, I guess, gotten a lot more steady over the last couple of years. And um, I've actually been busy doing almost solely commission work, which is really nice. And I I still do some shows a couple of times a year. I just declined to do a, a little Fall Fest show that that I was just going to make smaller pieces for in the neighborhood where I live just because I don't have any inventory and I wasn't going to have time to put it together and and I've actually since turned down a couple of movie gigs because I was working on stuff larger scale projects that you know I had a deadline and people had given me a down payment or we talked about it I need to have it by a certain time And, you know, it wasn't a toss-up. I had a commitment to my clients to finish their project, not go, hey, I got a call and I'm going to go work in Charleston, South Carolina for a month while I'm
0: not working on
1: the project that you gave me a down payment for.
0: Part of... Being in the creative industries these days, and because of things like the gig economy and the and the the nature of the like non-standard, traditional income sort of setup and all this kind of stuff, like we don't work nine to five, we don't get right. paid every two weeks, kind of thing. The entire economy and our entire lifestyles are very in flux, and and therefore we have to, or forced, force is a bad word, but forced to be creative in our incomes and a lot of times we have to come up with sort of commercial things to do to try and create a sustainable income while also balancing the desire and the, the, the whatever to build your reputation and could make your creative works and all this kind of stuff so like you have sort of worked in many different things so like how does it sort of worked out for you because you seem to be doing well of course i'm you know picture <laughs> from the outside so you seem to be doing well
1: The last couple of years have been exceptionally well and I've stayed really busy and I've been very fortunate to stay busy. My production board is over to our left and and that's all the stuff that I either need to get to or haven't gotten to or am currently working on. And it's been a steady job in itself, you know, maintaining client relationships, and and I have a lot of repeat clients, you know, part of that equation is UNCW. Like I've, not only have I made physical sculptures for those guys, but people have seen the pieces that I've done, and as a spinoff of that, you were just looking at some pieces that are over on the table that are alumni awards for the Cameron Business School at UNCW. And so that's an order that they give me probably every year and a half or so. And I'll say, hey, we want 10 or 12 of these. You can get them done at your own pace as long as we have them done by this this time. People have seen those. And I've made awards for the local Surfrider, Surfrider Foundation, the local River Watcher Foundation, who gives out some volunteer awards every year. I need to make another series. I've done it once so far, but I've hopefully will continue to do it. The Greater Wilmington Sports Hall of Fame Awards. Didn't even know we had one. We do. Okay. This will be the second year that I'm making awards for those. So those are kind of recurring commissions that have been spinoffs from the one-off sculptures that people have seen. I also because my background is industrial design and not necessarily fine art or sculpture i think i'm pretty flexible i don't think i know i'm flexible in the kinds of projects that i take so i even i do repair work when people call me if it's something that i know that i can do i've refurbished monuments you know around wilmington that people were relocating or you know needed repair work on the world war 1 memorial that used to be in front of Hanover High School uh, restored and they moved it to Riverfront Park and there's a veterans garden down there and so I mean stuff like that are all part of what I do and try to keep doing to be you know not only flexible but to just stay busy and bring in more work. I make furniture and also logos and signs for businesses and so my scope of work is all over the place stylistically I'm all over the place like uh, there there are certain things that people know me for and I'll go like hey that's Dume Gorham made that hair and but there are also other things in town that I'm I'm confident that people will look at and have no idea I made them
0: I know I remember from pedestrian art we put out one of your more abstract pieces at one point yeah yeah. Now, one of the things that I sort of always uh, admired about you was you you are very good with c- building relationships. Like so, I, like I'm really great at making relationships, but I am horrible with maintaining and growing and nurturing relationships. But you... Throughout my entire time knowing you, you've always been really, really good with like what you're talking about, like repeating clients and 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 working with people over and over and over and over because you seem to be very humble, professional, and you you sort of you complete the tasks without any drama and like all the because a lot of artists are very dramatic and all this kind of stuff. So like, true. I feel like this is one of the sort of the strengths that you bring to what you do is that you're you're not a drama queen. You're very professional, and you're very good at maintaining and nurturing these long-term relationships.
1: Well, thank you. A lot of that I, I can wholeheartedly and fully attribute to my parents, especially my dad, who uh, I'm sure they wanted to ship my brother in off more than one time when we were growing up, especially in our teenage years. But he is you know, has always been probably the the most calm individual in any situation that I've ever seen. That even when I know he'd be fine with me jumping off a bridge for one thing or another, he never presented that. You know, he always would talk to me and keep a level voice and a level head and explain in in very easy to understand terms why whatever I was doing was like pretty ridiculous and I should just stop. I think subconsciously I was always taking notes of that, but also through you know not only school and the military and having other jobs, the movie industry for sure, you know, working different places. I mean, growing up I worked in restaurants a lot, you know, I've had construction jobs. So Uh, I think those experiences help kind of craft the person you are and and how you're going to interact with other people. Like I've been in situations when not so much recently, but younger life where, you know, somebody was for no reason being extremely condescending in a job or dismissing you or what you were doing for no reason, you know, just to be a jerk. People that you they're, saw they're
0: generally called bosses, but yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and and also, you know, other people that you work with, maybe. And so although I'm an independent contractor and I'm or single owner operator, I do have to network with, you know, other vendors and other people, companies and organizations and to to do this stuff that I do the smoothest path from point a to point b is going to be really good communication a really good of understanding of what everybody is expecting from you know me and the project in general and you know some of the bigger pieces that i've done have, have been for the university or the city of wilmington or you know live oak bank you know where there are it's not just me working with a single client it's me working with the people in the city or county offices, me working with the general contractor and their subcontractors. And and those things, you know, you have to work well in those situations and like, I mean, communication, but you also have to be respectful of other people and understand what they're doing. I've seen more than a handful of other projects with other artists kind of go off the rails because the artist was absorbing everything that was going on, like they aren't necessarily paying attention to all the other people that have a hand in what's going to be their final presentation. And if you dismiss those people, you aren't going to get the job done and they aren't going to call you back. And so, I mean, I think I have a pretty good grasp of that dynamic, whatever it is. I'm not saying that I navigated all of those situations the best that I could, but I've taken notes in every situation so that the next one is an improvement on the one after that. And the next one that I get is going to be an improvement on whatever I'm working on. now.
0: I used to be a completely arrogant, selfish bastard, (laughs) and I'm fully aware of it at this point. So like, I'm, I'm all in on the idea of like, growing and learning from your mistakes and trying to do better next time. Like that. I mean, if you make mistakes in your life, which we all make mistakes that you try to do better the second time and hope that people will sure. give you a second chance. But
1: yeah. And those in the, in the bigger jobs and, and other artists that, that do, you know, public art installations or really big shows, you know, or for private clients or whatever, know that the, there are always a lot of irons in the fire and that, things aren't necessarily going to happen quickly. I mean, some of the bigger projects that I've had, you know, just the conversation going from will you do this or are you interested or a proposal to okay, we finally agree on everything, you can start working has taken a year more. Oh yeah. And then and then there's the actual timeline of of the construction of the piece. So you have to be you have to be patient too. I mean, I try to be patient. There are often times that I'm not, and I'm you know want to slam my head against the wall for one reason or another. But the people I'm working with aren't ever going to see that. I'll scream by myself at home or out in the woods or something. But
0: oh yeah, my parents <laughs> used to tell me like if you have a problem, like go in the closet and scream and yell, and then come out of the closet and never talk about it again, kind yeah. of thing.
1: Yeah, and and there's there also been plenty of times when I was discussing a project with somebody for you know a couple of months or the better part of a year that that just did never came to fruition that that tough. happens too and yeah. that that's difficult to deal with because you know you're always invested at that point but then you know that's one of the where you have to look at what else you have going on you know just shifting gears and getting back in the studio and making it work
0: you mentioned earlier about having kids and unfortunately through a lot of my discussions with different people I often have questions to female artists and female people in the arts world of like how does having kids affect you but you have kids so mm-hmm. how did having kids sort of affect your practice your time your your drive maybe even like so like did having children suddenly make like oh shit I got to work harder
1: for sure and then and, and there's still times that I go, you know, good grief, I should have chosen a different career path. <laughs> you know, like, God, maybe I, I should have gone here, you know, maybe I should have applied to law school instead of um, my, my dad's a lawyer, or was a lawyer, he's retired now. You know, the other careers that appear to be more stable, you know, from a financial standpoint, which kids need. Kids need stability. I've never discuss that with either one of my kids my, my daughter who's older more now because she's in college and she's at the age where she needs to understand finances and, and what's going on you know but I've never presented it you know flashback to our earlier part of the conversation when I was talking about in my mind knowing I only had a certain amount of money in the bank but I never convey that to my kids like and and try not to but it puts
0: a different pressure on you
1: oh for sure And I mean, my ex-wife, number one, has a great job and is hugely successful. And my second wife, now, and you know, we're on, on very good terms. And you know, she has, she works for the university, but she's very steady in that regard, too. So, so if anything in those relationships, I was the one, just by nature of my profession was the one that was in more flux but that's also the reason why when things weren't going as well you know i had to suck it up did i go want to work in a sheet metal company you know for welding fabrication warehouse for three or four days a week no but that's what helped pay the bills and you know even the the movie stuff although it pays really well is is still contract work. That's not, you know, it's going to start at a certain point It's going to end at a certain point. So do you have something that's going to get you, you know, from in between those or after the next one or whatever. So that, that was always a concern too. Later, you know, I had gotten to the point where I would finish working on, you know, film or TV production and would be very fortunate that I come back to the studio and I knew I had, three or four or five commission projects to work on. sometimes big ones sometimes that I have to say, hey, yes, I want to do that, but I've got to finish you know three weeks here or whatever. And also fortunately, almost I would say 99% of the time, my clients have been really understanding about that and but I think that's where the communication comes in. like I've never said, yeah, I'll do it and not having any concept of when I would be able to start or finish or whatever. And given, cause I think, you know, there are a lot of contractors that'll do that. They'll just say, yes, it'll be done and have, and there's no way that it's going to be able to happen when the client wants it done. And that's, I don't, I've never been comfortable in that situation.
0: Which actually brings up a, a thing that I've I heard you talk about. You, you use the words clients, you've used the word company, things like this. Like, So are you uh, a company, an LLC? Or like, how are you mm-hmm. financially sort of structured?
1: After years of just being Dume Gorham metal artist and running everything through my personal bank account, which was a terrible idea if any of you out there are doing that, separate the two. I've finally, you know, I got an accountant and I made an LLC, which separates everything. So that's, that's the business. So, and it's also easier to keep track of the business expenses and on the money coming in and everything. Also, if there's ever a legal situation, if those two aren't split, somebody can come after you. That means your house and your car and everything else. So the the business thing, from a liability standpoint, is also protecting you and, and your family. I mean, if you're married and you have kids, and you haven't separated the business, and something goes wrong, no matter it might not even be business related, but you're
0: well. I mean, you're doing you're large-scale public artwork that yeah. potentially could fall over or something could break off of or anything. And like I that. have to
1: maintain liability insurance. Oh, for well that. that was going to be a question. Yeah. yeah so, the, so, so you
0: have liability insurance for your works.
1: And, um, I just renewed it not too long ago and, and was able to do that. That's, and I've let it lapse before because, you know, I didn't have the funds available for the payment that year or whatever, which is not cheap. But it's a good thing to, if you can do it, you know, even for a short amount of time, especially if you have things in the public venue, it's,
0: it's, you need to do it. Okay. Sort of big philosophical questions for you. So change of gears here a little bit. So you were born and raised in Wilmington. You have a very strong base of collectors and and patrons and such here in the in the this southeastern region. So, like, what moving forward for the rest of your life and your career? What like what are your life goals? What do you hope to aspire to? Like, what's your dream project? <laughs> I I mean I love doing three
1: dimensional metal sculptures, and I, I love doing larger scale installations. Although I've learned, you know, just from a practicality standpoint, the things that I can make, like this heron that's standing on the table, the things that I can do myself that aren't too big for me to move, you know, by myself, that I can install by myself, that's kind of my sweet spot. I love doing the bigger stuff, but, you know, at some point in time on those projects, I end up being more of a project manager because i've got to coordinate the you know transportation and subcontractors and work with their schedules and and everything which can be more stressful than the smaller scale stuff
0: well but i find that a lot of artists myself included we work in proportion to our studio size so like your studio sure. size like can fit these we'll call them like life-size sort of a tabletop kind of stuff. Like you don't have a massive warehouse of a studio. Like you're no Jeff Koons or anything like this. Right. So like your work is v- generally like the work you're talking about right now is very proportionally appropriate to the size of your studio. Yeah. So if you had a bigger studio, would you feel True. more comfortable working bigger?
1: Yes. And, I, and I've thought about that, but I've been, so I've been here at Acme for a little over 20 years i've adapted this studio space a, a few times it's grown a little bit you know i do have i don't have a a bay door but my doors are big enough to get fairly large pieces out of and and the trade off is not having a bigger space where i can have more equipment you know but there's a price tag attached to that my workaround is, and I've developed a lot of really good professional relationships in, in Wilmington. So when I am doing bigger pieces, you know, there's a list of guys that I call in town that have the facilities and the equipment to do the things that I can't do here. I just did a much bigger installation, the Heron, for UNCW back in August, which is the second large installation I've done for them. And I had to build it in pieces. And this was another Seahawk sculpture that went on their new freshman quad. And I could build the individual pieces. There were three components to it and in here inside the studio, but I had to weld it all together outside. So that was a a workaround, but it was three times as big as, as that.
0: Oh yeah. I can't, I've even made stuff where I like I'll build it in the studio and then as I'm finishing it up, I realize I can't fit it through the doors. (laughs) And so like I have to dismantle whatever I made.
1: And there's been the, you know, some of the bigger things, you know, so I have to consider that in the design phase, you know, what can I actually accomplish in this space? What do I need help with? Is that something that even if I can't build it inside, can I finish it outside or will it'd be something that we transport to the site and finish there. And there've been a handful of projects like that.
0: Well, and what are their doors and their delivery spaces right. like? Cause a lot of times, a lot of these places that I'm thinking like office lobbies and things like this, they may not have a sure big doorway to get things. And in that's either.
1: always something we have to consider on the, on the front end. And that's also something that I think, you know, having like working in construction jobs Early and working for other companies that do similar things, you know. Uh, again, I took some notes and watched those guys work, and because you don't, you don't want to pull up to a job site and not be able to get your piece that they paid a lot of money for in the freaking door. And I know that's happened to some people that, and they've had to like take out part of the door or do something, and then charge the artist for it because that wasn't part of the the gig my fantasy world I would be I would have a individual studio maybe with you know more equipment and some trucks and employees but at the same time you know for me that's a few steps away and I also a lot more responsibility as you know you incorporate when you decide to be an employer and have all that stuff. And it's risky if you can get there and then, you know, get enough jobs to, you know, put some money in the bank and have the insurance and and everything. So if you have a slow year or something does happen, you're not only you're covered, but the employees are covered. You're not in danger of having your building foreclosed on or something.
0: Well, it, it's it, it's an it's a difficult leap that a lot of artists get to in their career, and they they are shy of making that leap.
1: And I I I mean I feel like I've been sitting on that fence for a while, but I've also been fortunate again to you know stay busy and to do projects that I know I can handle without going there. I also sleep well most most of the time, which. There's some value. No matter what, there's some value in that because I know a lot of other people that do things or manage companies that they just, they can never relax because they're so worried about. Now, and everybody has their own comfort level with that stuff. I'm not saying that that's not a good thing in bigger companies. I know some artists that do have bigger facilities and do have you know employees and equipment and trucks and do much larger scale and they do it really well and those people have found that that's that's their comfort zone you know and that's where they function optimally and i'm in mine right now well
0: and that sort of goes back to sort of like your idea of like you're to a certain extent i hope you don't take this offensively but like you're you're a southeastern artist like you're you're imagery that you work with your style the the all this kind of stuff like you are very much it's about a niche. this location yeah and well that's what i'm getting to is like you're very much have found your niche yeah. like so that and and you are good with staying in that so like it, it, is this something that are you dreaming of sort of breaking out of this niche in some way or are you you really sort of happy with being like very strongly in this niche
1: i'm happy with it 95 percent of the time and because i also know and i've done a handful of solo shows uh, which, which i've actually won with michael van hout who walked by here a second ago and then one alone one solo show the first solo show i ever did was all abstract stuff and my show with michael was all abstract stuff so for me it's like you know the commission things are always client driven and, and that's what I know I'm going to get paid for. You know, I can do my own stuff on my own time. I just haven't had a lot of free time. So that's, that's the toss up. Now, if I all of a sudden had a really good run and was able to maybe set aside enough money that I knew that I could go, you know, six months or a year without taking a commission job, then i might just say hey i'm taking some time off to do my own thing
0: well but then and, okay but see the part of this is like reputation like this is a big thing in the arts world across the board you you have this very strong very you know good reputation for these animals and and very representational sculptures How are, how is it received when you choose to go to this abstract? So like, do people go like, who is this artist? This is not Dume. Dume does animals.
1: The first abstract show I did, I think I sold more than half the show. Pretty good. And, and one reason was because I think people were intrigued and excited about the fact, oh, wow, this isn't, you know, they saw me doing something besides sea turtles and seahorses and and Herons. And, and the second one as well. I mean, I sold, I, there were a couple of pieces that didn't sell for a while, but they did sell eventually. And I've, I have had, uh, I can count them. I've had two actual commissions for abstract work, which were cool. And uh, some of us, actually, there's some pieces here that are all abstract, that are very different from what I do, but these were, um, set pieces that I made for a production that was filming here, uh, this time last year. So I get to feed that fire every now and then, maybe not as often as I would like, but also I'm not tired of the other stuff. Like I still enjoy making herons and ospreys and oh, that's great. sea turtles I mean, and stuff. The
0: worst is when you're, you're tired of it and you still have to do it. That just sucks. Yeah.
1: I haven't gotten it. Fortunately, I haven't. I'm not saying I won't, but I haven't gotten there yet.
0: Good. One question, actually, I that I really have about uh, three dimensional artists in general, because I'm I'm a works on paper kind of guy, mm-hmm. right? Photography is my background, all that. Storage. What do you do? Like, do you have like a, a, a storage unit or anything? Like, you- this is it. Sometimes
1: it's fuller than others, but most, so most of the things that I do because they're commission based, you know, I make them and they go away. Hmm. So it's not often that I have a lot of stuff sitting around. A couple of years ago, I did a exhibition for Early Gardens and there were 12 pieces I made and until we got to the point where we could take them and do the installation, it was very crowded in here. And um, but I don't have any any other storage space so or, you have like, like this no
0: unsold back stocks and nothing like that like so everything you get pretty much out before you start another project
1: right now and they're there i do try to do a couple of shows a year and those are mostly you know interior pieces smaller like tabletop pieces i might make something that's a little larger scale it, it's also for me Just trying to carve out the time to to make pieces that aren't paid for, which is a great problem to have. I'm not even calling it a problem. I've built this business making commissions, and that's the way that's the way. That's my if if it's a business model, I guess that's it.
0: Well, it takes a certain kind of temperament of a person to. W- work in the creative fields as commissions. Like me, I'm horrible at commissions. I fucking hate them so much. <laughs> like I've had three, two or three commissions in my life, and every single one of them, I am horribly embarrassed that they even exist because they ended up going through committees and people, other people sort of had their inputs and like they look nothing like my work. Like, right. So like they're completely devoid of my style my aesthetic whatever and like they have nothing to do with it whereas you have carved out this great ability but also probably partly because of your own personality and temperament to be able to work with clients in this way that a lot of creative people can't
1: and in doing that I mean I always go into a commission most of the time the client knows what they want So I look at it my job as being the one that's gonna bring their vision full circle. No matter what that is. Now, stylistically that can go a couple of different ways. So most of the people that call me are familiar with my work and they want something similar to what they've seen before. And there have been some other times when they wanted something totally different, and I'll just adapt to whatever that may be but that's you know for for me I don't have the issue with stepping away from you know the maybe uh, I guess some people would call it the ego or whatever that some artists clearly do and that's that's a personal choice and that's a stylistic for me the biggest thing is you know doing the project and making the client happy and i've had one or two misfires and all honestly, but you know, over a little over 20 years doing this, that ratio is I'm comfortable with that ratio. It's inevitable. And yeah, it's going to have, I mean, I've, I'm confident that at least one or two people have called me, you know, just to have somebody else on their list to complain to, or to, you know, beat up about one thing or another. And one Distinctly, that somebody referred to me, and I could tell just from the first conversation it was a bad idea. And then later, the person that referred them told me, We're like, yeah, this person has fired like three upholsters and five carpenters in the last like two months. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm just, she just wanted me on the list, like somebody else to like beat up about whatever. I actually finished the project, and she was happy with it when I did it but there there haven't been any more <laughs> I have a lot of repeat clients she isn't one of them
0: fair enough all right last little question actually would just be so, um, from your experiences both as a sort of a business person working in commissions and doing and doing sort of your own freelance sort of you know personal works and all this advice to young people who might want to come in and do things like you do? I mean, not copy you, but like, you know, this, in this part of the industry, whether even movies, like any advice for, for young people coming in about how they can successfully navigate all that
1: investigate things that interest you and talk to people that do interest you. I mean, there was always, I always was, you know, very shy about, talking like i didn't really discover i didn't start welding until i was 30 that's when i moved back to wilmington north carolina so i you know for me in the scope scheme of things this is kind of a late development really but you know take advantage of the resources where you are if you like art whatever that art is you know go to shows meet the art you know if any, anywhere there's a show opening night the artist is going to be there most of the time depending on where you are in Wilmington, they'd be there, maybe not in New York or Los Angeles, but, um, but if you can, you know, meet the artists or a lot of artists, you can go visit their studios. We have a, f- not currently because of COVID, but acne art studios where I work and 18 other artists have studios here. We were on a fourth Friday gallery walk, which was always very well attended and, and, I meet new people all the time and you know, so investigate those things. If you're, if you're in school, if you have an idea, if you're on the younger side, you're already ahead of the game. Take classes you like. If it's, if it happens to not be in your major at the time, you can take it things as an elective just to see if it's something you like. And i I kind of did it in the reverse. I I went to design school because that seemed a way for me to get a job in a creative field and actually get a paycheck for it. And those jobs are out there too. That's a great, whether it's computers or design or there's so many things going on in the computer industry and rendering and model, all that stuff. If you're good at computers, that's, you're ahead of the game too. I'm not. I still do drawings by hand. So but yeah, yeah we're a different generation, I right know. <laughs> for sure. But yeah, you know, talk to people, go to festivals and go to art galleries and read about the stuff. There's there's so much stuff online now. I mean, I get lost, you know, just watching YouTube's about people that do different kinds of metal sculpture and stuff, you know. Even photos and uh, social media like i'll scroll through my instagram account and have discovered other artists that live in other parts of the world and i'm like send a message hey i love your work this is something i did similar and and honestly more than half the time that artist responds and it's like oh this is what i'm working on and so those are inspirations for sure and they're also you know, groups like on Facebook, I'm a member of a metal, a couple of different metal sculpture groups where people, you know, get on and comment back and forth or chat. You know, there a lot of times they're podcasts and, you know, where you can listen to, you know, whether they're authors or painters or whatever, kind of talk about what they're doing and their process and, yeah, just go for it.
0: One last thing that actually just sort of popped in my head from what you were talking about, the, the nature of the fact that you're in a group studio, because like, a lot of artists will like, put studios in their garage and they'll do it themse- like, you know, by themselves. The, the fact that you're part of an inherent community by the place that you chose to put your studio, has that been helpful or difficult or is it, is it something that you would recommend?
1: For me, this works really well. Uh, f- actually, you know, if we backtrack a little bit, Karen Crouch, who rented the table at Mark Offerman's place, she came here first, and she, you know, uh, loved it and had mentioned she said, "Dume, you need to come up and check out this place, and you know, it's really great. There are a lot of wonderful artists here, and." I finally did, and the studio that we're sitting in was the only one available at the time. And you couldn't even see in here. It was a, basically a storage space. There were no windows. This was the hallway behind me down, and I had a friend, Evan Polari, help me put the windows in and the doors later, so we got some light. But you know, I met all the people that were here at the time, who are very well-established artists in, in Wilmington. There's been, you know, people have moved out and moved in. But for me, having to, you know, leave my house and have a different place to work, also where other artists are doing what they do on a daily basis provides a lot of inspiration. I've also come across a lot of collaborative opportunities with the other artists that work here. And it's really you know this place has just a really good energy and a good feel that that to me kind of rounds out you know not not only my me as an individual artist but just the stuff that I do and sort of my routine that I've developed during the week. So it's it's for me I, I see it as a plus a huge bonus because I could see you know if you aren't interacting with other people and some people that's the way they work and and they like it but i can also see if you're not you know you could get stuck you could have more hang-ups when you can't like walk somewhere else and go like, hey this is what i'm working on what do you think what are you what are you doing i need to take a break but uh i love being here
0: great thank you very much yeah thank you